And thanks for the opportunity to be with you. I do hope that our brother Jim is uh, improving, uh, but I'm happy to be a fill-in today as well. And I'm sure you'll catch up with Jim uh, sometime in the future. He and Pinky are very passionate people about sharing the gospel. And I'm sure you would have benefited from their ministry today had they been able to be here. That being said, Anthony and I are very pleased to be here. And in fact, this morning, I felt like, you know, after Josh's thing, I wanted to sign up for everything this morning. You know, like, I, just, just, just put me down, Josh. I mean, like, I don't belong, but I'll, I'll just, I'll be part of that. But it's good to see leaders who are enthusiastic for the work of God, right? And I think that's really important for us to be enthusiastic for the word of God. And when I think of the work of God and when I think about mission, you know, let your kingdom come, right? But that's, that's actually, that's a passive statement, right? But mission is never passive, it's active. There's only one way that God's kingdom is ever going to come, and that's through what you and I do. God has chosen to work through us. That's the, that's the nature of mission. God has chosen to work through you and me. As weak as we are, and, um, we were talking, Morris and I were talking about that just before the service. Often we feel weak and inadequate, but of course the all-sufficiencies of God, and as we make ourselves available to him, then God works. Uh, and I was thinking of that song we sang, uh, it talked about, you know, if you lead me, I will go. There's a bit of a cop-out in that song, potentially, because we might say, well, God never led me. But actually, the scripture's quite clear. Jesus calls us all to go. It's only a question of where we go. And to whom we go and how we go. You see, the, the work of mission is for everywhere. It's for in this street. It's for in your neighborhood. It's with your neighbor. It's with your colleagues at work. It's with, in your school places. It's everywhere you are. And within that context, some people are called to go beyond those realms. You know, when Jesus commissioned the disciples in Acts 1, he said, you'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So it's just a question of where. The going is not in question. And if you're not going, you're actually being a disobedient Christian. If you're not going in some way with the gospel to other people, you're not really obeying what the Lord has for you to do. What we're doing today with help is kind of a, an extension, I think, of where I began when I became a Christian back in the mid-70s in Bernie and Tasmania. And, uh, you know, I was taught very early on that part of Christian responsibility was to serve and to make Jesus known. And really, we've tried to do that in various ways all through our lives, all through our Christian lives, uh, at a personal level, in church ministry, and now in this ministry that we're involved in as well. It's one of the great privileges of our lives to have quite a lot of non-Christian friends who we seek to witness to in a faithful kind of way. Not many of them have come to know Jesus, but we're still plugging away at that because we, you know, in some respects, doing stuff over there is easier than here, right? And, and it's certainly easier to give you money and let somebody else do it over there, right? Um, but actually, there's a call on us here. So let's never forget that. I mean, our focus today has been appropriately about over there, and I'll be talking about over there, but really, we need to make sure we take care of the here as well. And so, you know, I'm excited when I hear the church trying to create opportunities for us to share the gospel and be engaged with our friends and all of that kind of thing. So my my buttons got pushed big time during the service today in all kinds of ways. And that frequently happens to me when I'm, when I've prepared something to speak, you know, I have a sort of this, this kind of thing that I want to do and then I find, oh, God touches me about this. I mean, the, the word partnership that came through today was very preeminent and that fits with what I want to talk about today. 
Uh, but my, my buttons got pushed in all kinds of ways. And I hope that God is pushing your buttons today as you hear. But, you know, the end result of a pushing of a button should be some action, right? Not just feeling, oh, well, that's a nice feeling, but it should result in some action. Actually, my buttons began, really started being pushed while I was in Tasmania for two weeks before I came here because we spent two weeks trying to avoid becoming close contacts of somebody who had COVID, uh, who, which might preclude us from conducting a funeral, which I was due to take this week, and running a wedding yesterday, which I did for the Burmese congregation, which meets at Ringwood Community Church. Uh, thankful that that was in fact the case. And then, of course, in the midst of that, Lee rang and said, uh, will you do a fill-in job for us? Not quite those words, but... Uh, and I said, well, you know, I'm worried about catching COVID down here. I don't know whether I'm going to be able to meet that commitment either, but I'm glad to be here today and thankful for that. And then my my buttons were really pushed this morning uh, before I came here because I get a bit paranoid sometimes. Have I got the right time in my head? Montmorency does start at 10 o'clock, doesn't it? Oh, let me just check the web. Yeah, 10 o'clock. What? Noel Flatley's died. Now, you wouldn't know that I know Noel Flatley. Uh, I would have liked an invitation to his funeral, but none of you would know that I was in any way connected. Because as we've heard today, and as Raf said in the service, I watched as much of the service as I could. Colleen, I got up into your um, eulogy, but I had to stop so I could come and be here. But I wanted to get as much as I could. Uh, you wouldn't know that because Ralph was that quiet man who did lots of unknown things, including supporting help financially. And in fact, uh, I wrote to... He, he was one of the people that responded from this church to the need for uh, for Juvenile to go to be with Miriam and Dorcas in Israel. And I wrote to him, wouldn't be more than a week uh, before he passed away to say thank you. So I just want to honour him today. Uh, I know that you, you love him very much and will miss him very much, but... I think of Noel as a person who was quiet and all those people that he helped will never know who he was. But his legacy will continue on through them. And that's really quite exciting when you think about that. So help, that's a bit of a long introduction, I know, but it just seemed to be important that I, I talk about some of those things. I want to begin by this part by thanking you for your partnership uh, with help in relation to Juvenile and Joshua and Simon. Actually, it's interesting because really you partnered with help for Joshua and Simon. You were sending money to Simon and then it became no longer possible for Graham to do that. So um, I've become a partner with Simon because of what you've done. So we've got a, a dual kind of thing happening here. And I'm just in the phase of getting to know Simon and working with Simon. And I hope in due course, when the Lord makes it possible for me to go to Africa, to actually to go to Zambia and visit him and to see him and his work firsthand. That would be my heart because all of the people that we are, we are involved with with help are people that we actually know, that we've met, and I like to keep that, that flavour going if we can. Thank you very much for your not only your financial support but also your prayers and particularly for what's been happening with Juvenile. Uh, I met Jack this morning, and Jack's one of your faithful prayers here in the church, and uh, he was excited that Juvenile got his money so he could go and to be with his family. And when I came back Monday morning, I had another button pushed uh, because I got the text from Juvenile saying that Miriam had passed away. And he said to me, don't worry, Brother Peter, you did everything you could do, but God had other plans. Juvenile is a, a man with a great heart, a man who really loves God, 
who loves people and is becoming quite a strategic leader. I mean, he's the leader of the Brethren Group in Rwanda, but he's developing his own leadership skills and he leads from a place of humility and sincerity. And I love working with Juvenile. I met him in 2013, actually introduced to him by Joshua. So there's that whole nexus that's happening there. Uh, Juvenile, I, I contacted Juvenile yesterday and I didn't hear anything for a while. I said to Edgar, maybe he's in transit. And he let me know this morning that he and he's gone back to Rwanda with Miriam's remains, but they can't set a date for the funeral yet because Dorcas has contracted COVID while she's in Israel. And so she's in isolation in Israel. So the, the difficulties roll on for those people. Uh, so just keep praying for them and I'll let you know when I know anything so you can pray about that. I'd really love, personally, I'd love to be able to go to that funeral. I know I can't, but I'd love to be there and to be a brotherly support. Because one of the things that's that's happened for me through this whole process of being involved with help since 2010, when we started it, is that you go from helping people to them becoming friends, colleagues, partners, people that you love deeply. And so, and that gets very hard sometimes because you're far away. So we experience that, that pain quite a bit. So thank you for your partnership with, with Juvenile and pray for him in that. We've been working on a number of projects with Juvenile during the year, which if I get time, we'll talk about along the way. Uh, Joshua and Sylvia are doing quite well. Their church was uh, closed down. Well, most of the churches weren't meeting because of COVID and then There'd been a previous set of government restrictions where they closed down 6,000 churches. This is before COVID. So that they bring them up to building code. Rugendi was one of those churches, which is where Joshua is. And they, they got their church up to code so they could meet again. But then with COVID coming, the government imposed other restrictions. So they only started meeting again just before Christmas. Um, that a lot of the people of the church had been work, walking three hours on a Sunday to another church location that was able to meet. It's a very dedicated people. Um, but they've, they've also seen quite a bit of, like we've seen in Australia, uh, because in, or certainly in Victoria, because Rwanda's had similar sort of strong restrictions like we've had here in, in Victoria, they've seen a lot of drop-off with people, uh, people not going to any church anywhere anymore and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of rebuilding to be done in the country. They've just fired up all of their feeding programs and things that they do at the Regendi Church uh, again. Uh, and so they're trying to get back to full steam. Uh, they're an incredibly dedicated couple. Uh, I admire them so much. It, it always fascinates me that you have people who love children so much who can't have any children of their own. And I know that's quite a, a burden to them, but I... I Every time I'm at Regendi, I see them both surrounded by all the children. I think, well, really, they kind of parents to all of these kids. There must be at least, what would you think, Anthony, 150 kids in that church? Easily. Um, just quite an amazing place to be. The Regendi uh, in Karanziza Church is my home church in Rwanda. And when I go there, uh, I, I speak in lots of churches, but I always go to that church. I go back to that church time and time again. And so you build up relationship over time. And in fact, I was thinking about this idea of, you know, Lord, send me if you call me, that, that kind of thing. I remember the last time that I was there. So Sylvia at the time that I was there was running the whole Sunday school on her own. So she'd go out with about 100 kids. You imagine that. Uh, and no material really to speak of. And uh, they were quite desperate to have helpers, you see. 
And so the last time I was there, there was this fervent prayer going on in the church. This person get up, that person get up, this person. It must have been about 40 people probably who got up and prayed that God would provide Sunday school teachers for our children. And I'm thinking to myself, this is wrong somehow. So when I got up to speak, I said to them, you know, some of you people are probably answers to your own prayers. You're wanting somebody to do something you're not willing to do. Joshua came to me later and said, oh, thanks so much for saying that, because that's very difficult for the pastor to say that. You know, he can be sort of, uh, what's the word, label in an unfair way, but for the visitor to come in and say something like that was quite helpful to him. It's a very lively and energetic uh, and loving church. Their, their approach is to be, they say we want to be a loving community first. That's their, their heart. And they work at that. And so once a month they have this thing where uh, a gift is given to everybody. People buy gifts and, and bring them to the church and then they distribute it to every person. Joshua and Sylvie uh, buy gifts because they know that not everybody can afford to buy a gift. So they buy a lot of the gifts themselves that are given to people. So it's very much the heart of the place, a place where there's a lot of unemployment. I tried to get, uh, I talked with Aphrodis, who's now one of the elders. He was, was one of the deacons. He runs a brick building business. Talked with Aphrodis about whether he could employ some of the people to, uh, to work in his facility so they could have work. But they found that it just didn't work because so many of them have HIV AIDS that they might be there today and not tomorrow. So it is, that all that, that, those complexities are very real, uh, in those places. This little snapshot here, um, shows the countries where we're working and those numbers uh, are the numbers of uh, Christian workers that we're directly involved in supporting financially in each country. I didn't get involved involved to be involved with money. My idea was training and resourcing and by resourcing I thought maybe getting Bibles to people and that sort of thing but it's amazing how God works and does things that you don't expect. So we're actually engaged in seven countries now uh, various levels, uh, including Australia. My trustees have said, look, do your, do your pastoral thing as part of what we're doing here. Do ministry here in Australia as part of what we're doing here. I'm no longer pastor at Ringwood Community Church. Haven't done that since 2019, uh, July 2019. We are, uh, we're very much still part of that church. And in fact, they'll be praying for us today as we're here. So it's in a real sense of fellowship with them that we're doing this work as well. They've commended us to the work. They don't support us. Financially, but we are commended by the, uh, the Ringwood Assembly for that work. So there are two, this is always the most difficult part of this for me. Uh, help is one work which exists in two entities and it, it exists in two entities for legal and financial reasons. We had some people who are giving to the Help Trust, which we established in 2010, who reached a point where they could only give to organisations that had tax deductible status. And I'm talking about uh, substantial amounts of money, you know, like $20,000 a year. And so um, our trustees decided to start the Help CT Limited, which is a, a company which has tax-deductible status, but also able, well, uh, which is able to give tax-deductible receipts. And so all of our community, well, not all of our community projects, but most of our community projects go to that side. Whereas on the other side, we do the church stuff. That's the simplest way that I can describe that to you. But in my head, it's all one thing, though there are two legal entities. But I'm working in both and for both and the directors and the trustees of both are the same people. So there's a huge link. One of the things that I'm amazed about is that though we, though we didn't set out to be involved on the money side, 
Since we started in 2010, people have given us one, nearly $1.8 million to invest in ministry in Africa. So that's kind of amazing. That, that green line, I hope it shows up green on your screen, or yellowy green. Uh, that, that green line is, is the total each year. The, the blue line and the red line is where we separated the two entities and those amounts all work together. So we're very thankful to that and I'm thankful to, uh, to Montmorency for its support of those people and also individuals here uh, who've supported the work in various ways uh, over the years. Very grateful for that. Don't take that for granted and I'm continually amazed uh, at, at how God works. That just shows the that just shows the different place of going backwards, aren't I? Okay, let me just try. Okay, so this this slide is really about the kinds of things that we're doing in each country. So we have a small rehabilitation centre project in Kenya. Uh, in Rwanda, it's very intense. It involves around Bibles, food for pastors, food for poor people, running pastors' seminars, mentoring pastors, doing theological training. We've had a major success in the last year, um, I became concerned in 2015 that what we were doing for Rwandan pastors was not enough. You know, I was talking to somebody just in the last couple of days who's teaching the Bible overseas. And teaching the Bible is important overseas, but one of the things that's happening increasingly in countries around the world is that because of bad behaviours and other reasons, governments are increasingly requiring people who are leaders of churches to be qualified. And even some of that has come out in the Royal Commission with Child Abuse here in Australia and so on. Uh, so that's certainly the case in Rwanda and Tanzania. And I was very concerned that while we were doing what I would call professional development for pastors, it was never really going to meet the, that need. Uh, and so I made an approach to some people in 2015. Nothing came of that. Uh, last year I was at a CVAT uh, Pastors Network meeting where Walter Wenzel from AMT spoke. And he talked about AMT's money available for training overseas and that kind of thing. David Smith, who's the chairman of uh, Christian Community Churches Australia and the academic dean of uh, Australian College of Christian Studies, the old Emmaus, and the head of the Brethren International Missions Network and a friend of mine, uh, we, we got together, I contacted him and said, listen, um, I understand AMT's got some money, is there something we can do? And so that set about a, a range of Zoom meetings with he and his colleagues in Europe and the Rwandan leaders about doing theological training in Rwanda. And so right now we have 15 Rwandan pastors registering to study online with ACCS. Uh, they'll get their theological qualifications. It will not help not only them but help the movement um, satisfy its legal requirements in the country. Subsequent to that, we're hoping to set up a local institution like they have in... Have you seen the one in Zambia, Have you seen what they've got there? So we're hoping to do the same thing in Rwanda. And God willing, uh, and COVID permitting, uh, I'd like to be in Rwanda in August next year when we hope to launch that there because the East African Brethren are having their, their conference in Rwanda next year. That's a major... For me, that's just a, a major success story that I couldn't have made happen, but... God was in, and I'm very grateful to have played a little small part in that. Uh, AMT will fund most of the cost of that. Help will make up a small amount of the shortfall. So we're in partnership with AMT and, and those people with that. I'm very excited to be part of that. Uh, I might just slip on from that one because otherwise I'll have too much to tell. And then we're also involved with projects at the Kigali Christian School. One of the things that we're able to do this year was uh, 
we picked up sponsoring the Kigali Christian School in Rwanda, which is in the east of Rwanda, had 28 students who were going to lose their sponsored place for uh, Ramagana in the east. is a very poor community. Uh, I had somebody who gave us some extra money, so we were able to pick up sponsoring 20 kids at that school, which meant 20 out of the 28 kids. I'm not sure what's happened to the other eight yet. Uh, but, of course, you know, their school year ends in August, end of, end of August, so... You know, that, that caters for them for this year. I don't know what's going to happen beyond that, but I'm just trusting that God will provide in some way so that we're able to do that. We're involved substantially in uh, South Africa in a whole range of social things, and I think what I'll do, rather than flick through those things, is show you a few pictures which I think you'll find much more interesting. So in South Africa, um, are, are you familiar with the idea of a South African township? Are you familiar with that idea? Some of you are? Some are. A South African township is a slum. Um, normally starts as an informal settlement. Most people will be living in, in uh, un- until they get more established, most people will be living in buildings maybe the size of a shipping container or smaller, constructed out of stuff that they've pilfered, procured, obtained from wherever by whatever means, and they, they live in very humble circumstances. There's a small community uh, outside of... Durbanville, which is on the edge of Cape Town, towards the um, towards the wine region, it's a bit like the Yarra Valley. We're involved with Durbanville Community Church there. They have a work in the Cliff Hewell community. We actually run a school. We we fund a school in a box program there, which is a tutoring program for kids after school who are disadvantaged. Um, but we were able um, last year and the year before to send money for them to be able to feed people in the community because no social welfare, no jobs, COVID, all that kind of thing. And so the church was able to have a real ministry of love and care to those people. They they run all kinds of programs in that community. I don't know what that community would be like without them. It's only fairly small. I'd say probably only a 1,000 people uh, live in that community. A lot of them are child-only households. You know, where dad's run away somewhere and mum's died because of AIDS or something like that. So it's a very difficult place to live. The two young ladies that run a lot of the programs uh, last year, I'm just trying to think. They So they have a small, a very small computer lab in a shipping container. Um, some people broke in and stole the computers. There's a church building there which used to belong to the Reformed Church. Uh, the, the local people got a hold of the people. They caught the people who were stealing the stuff. They took them into the church. They stoned them to death. Uh, before the police could arrive, these two young ladies who wouldn't be more than 23 of age, years of age, I guess, had to deal with that. That's been very disturbing for them. They've been very traumatised by that experience. Uh, so it, it's amazing the world that some of these people live in. Right now, when I say right now, probably not on Sunday... But we were able to send some money right at the end of last year. We have a substantial involvement with the King's Children's Home in South Africa run by a pastor and his wife. They have up to 60 small children at a time. Right now they're doing a refurbishment on the bathrooms, which were badly in need, and also creating a staff room, which we were, we were able to fund last year. I had a thing from Tracy, just who runs the home just yesterday or the day before, with the money that we sent, we have a major commitment to helping them with their supplies, their food supplies and stuff for the kids. Uh, they were able to put together two months' worth of supplies with the money that we sent for them. If I could only take you there and... Did you go there, Graham? You haven't been to that one. If I could only take you there and for you to see, I would just love for you to see and to meet these people. Uh, also in George, where we support uh, our Youth for Christ work there and options... Uh, pregnancy centre, counselling centre, drug rehabilitation centre. 
in addition to buying pant- uh, stuff for their new mum's pantry there. And when I say pantry, we're talking about supplies for a new baby because often in that context, the difference between somebody keeping their baby and not is by having a few things to look after the baby. So we're deeply involved in that as well. But also we're able to provide money for food for a lot of their clients as well in the last year. Oh, these are the kids. These are the 20 kids that we're supporting uh, at uh, at the school. Just... I'd like to show you before and after photos. After photos, I've got photos of kids in the area, uh, and then what they look like when they're at the school. The blue and white is the normal uniform. The other one is the sports uniform. Of course, we're involved in Bible distribution in Rwanda. Uh, that's through the Inkeran Ziza churches. Uh, juveniles uh, deeply involved in all of that, and the head of all of that. Uh, last year, we were also able to send money for pastors' families. Now, think about it. Okay, Josh, you're the pastor of the church. You get paid, this is very typical in Rwanda, they give you 10% of what the offering is. Okay? That's good if you're in a rich church. Like Mont Renzi, maybe, I don't know. Just joking, it's okay. But if you're in Rwanda and most of the people don't have jobs, what does that mean for your income? So most pastors struggle anyway. So when the church doesn't meet, like during COVID, and there's no offering, there's no internet banking, People are absolutely impoverished. And so the Inker and Zizia Church Group set about a strategy of trying to find resources so they could provide bags of rice and that kind of thing to their pastors so their families didn't die. It's no wonder that the pastors' families in, in Rwanda are often anti the church because of how they've seen their families suffer uh, in, the, in that context. But So we feel privileged to be involved in that kind of thing. Major success for us last year was to be able to provide 150 uh, Christmas relief packages, 150, 1400 Christmas relief packages for, uh, Kailicha Township in Cape Town. Kailicha Township is huge. Nobody knows how many people live there. Maybe two million people, something like that. Again, the Durbanville Community Church has, has had ministry there for 30 years. It's kind of like a Samaritan's Purse type program, uh, except the people at Uyasu Unati who we partner with buy the things and put them together in situ. And so we're very pleased to be able to be involved with that this year. Uh, right now, um, at Jehogwe Secondary School, there's training in child protection going on. We took 12 months meeting initially with Rwandan church leaders and then seven trainees to train them in child protection. We developed material. We had a, uh, a colleague in Rwanda who translated into Kenya Rwanda so they can roll it out into their communities. And they're doing that right now. And this is a, a joy for me. Uh, it's juvenile on what well, I'm guessing is your right. No? <laughs> Sorry, where is he? Oh, this is juvenile in the middle just here. Um, bit hard to tell him with the mask on, I guess. But uh, So this is the group of people that we trained, and two of those people have been rolling that out in the last week. That'll go on for several weeks. We're really pleased to be able to do that. Not so we can impose Australian stuff, but child protection issues, abuse of children are big issues in Africa. Uh, and I know they have problems in their compassion programs. Uh, you know, Juvenile said we really need this stuff because, you know, we have some of our compassion leaders who get the girls pregnant, all this sort of, all this kind of stuff. So they're, they're really working hard on all this kind of thing to, to bring it up to a, a standard where people are really protected and cared for. And we feel privileged uh, to be part of that. If you want to sign up for our newsletter, you can just take, take a photo of that now and you can... Go to that QR code and it'll take you to our stuff. Now, well, I've got 10 minutes left. 
Whew, sorry, I, I could just go on for ages about this stuff, as you can probably tell, and I haven't told you everything. If you want to know everything, have me back again, and I'll tell you everything. And have, then you ask me another time, I'll come back and I'll tell you another lot of stuff. But anyway, now when I come back next time, is it March the 6th, by the way? Yeah, so I'm here on the Vision Sunday. Well, I was just thinking I'll bring you a vision, right? Isaiah's vision. Isaiah's vision. AGMs. I love AGMs. One of the good things about not being a pastor anymore is I don't have to attend AGMs. That's good. So I just want to give you a little snapshot, and this is all it will be today. Um, the importance of unity in the church. I think we've seen with what's happened with COVID in some churches a lot of disunity. Uh, and you haven't been affected by that like some other churches have, but we have seen that in a lot of churches. Um, unity is a very important issue for the church, um, but unity is not to be mistaken for uniformity or conformity. And sometimes we do that. So if you think about it, uniformity is when you go to sign up to something where everybody looks the same, thinks the same, acts the same, right? And you know if you're going to belong, you have to be uniform. You mightn't be wearing a uniform, but you're uniform. Conformity is a bit different. Well, it's similar but different. Conformity usually exists where somebody is born into something that has all these rules and regulations, and yet you only belong if you act and behave in these kinds of ways. And so you decide, well, if, if I'm going to stay here, I have to conform to this. Unity is a very different thing. Unity is where we recognise that we're actually all different. We all come from different spaces. We have different ideas. We may even have different theologies, different hopes, different dreams, different expectations. But we choose in love to work together. And that's a much healthier thing than either of those other realities. Because one is forced and one comes from within. You know, unity was so important to Jesus that he prayed for it. He said, Father, I pray for the church, for those who will believe in me, that they may become one, even as you and I are one. And of course, a lot of, a lot of non-Christian people say, well, look at the church. It's divided, disagrees. Jesus said that the way that we are together should be a picture of how he and Father God are. And he really further highlighted that really unity is integral to witness because he says, you know, this is how the world will know that you've sent me. Because, you see, it's really, if you think about it, it's only a spiritual work in people's hearts that can make them choose, if you like, to be one when in lots of ways they're not one. And I think this comes out a lot in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have the, the whole thing about how the church behaved and so on. And we get a picture of unity, fellowship, all of that kind of stuff. And, and what does the writer say at the end of that section? He says, and the Lord added daily to, to the number of those who were being saved. So a consequence of their united behavior and all the other things that they did was that people got saved. So unity is really integral to our witness as a community. But not only so, unity is a joy for us in community. Who likes to be in a divided home? Let me just do a little survey. Oh, none. Okay, 100% response or non-response. Who likes to be in a divided church? Right? So we all know that being one is actually a blessing to us. The The psalmist said how pleasant it is when men dwell together in unity. 
And, you know, I think of, of times at, uh, at Warrandyke Community Church in my ministry there when a United and Eldership level we'd be discussing something and we'd all disagree. Now, disagreement doesn't necessarily mean disunity. Let me be very careful about that. And we disagree and we're all, we're all opinionated. And we disagree and we talk and we talk and we talk. And at the end, there'd be, most of us would work out an agreement. And there might be one of the two of us who were in a slightly different space. But because we're in a slightly different space, we're in a slightly different space, but we believed in the value of the work and the value of unity, we would say, well, I'll go with you on that. See, unity is actually a choice that we make. And I look back on those times with with much affection and much love because they are really very rich. And what I discovered was that sometimes I got my way and what I wanted, right? And other people had to give way. And sometimes I had to give way so that other people got what they wanted. That's the nature of choosing unity over conformity or uniformity in fact we had we had somebody who joined our our church from another church and he said to me and then eventually he became one of the deacons of the church and he said oh i said i'm really looking forward to serving as part of this team because in my last church we had great unity i said did you really he said yes he said we never did anything unless everybody agreed i said oh we don't have that kind of unity here he looked at me and I said, well, before I explain why, let me ask you, would I be right in saying that often not much got done because there was one person in the group who always said no? He said, you're right. You see, if you say that unity is everybody always agreeing about everything, then one person who says no can hold everything up. I don't think that's really Unity. In fact, that's person exercising control through the power of veto. So it is a blessing to be in unity together. One of the things that we learn from the book of, uh, from the New Testament is that though we have spiritual unity, it's something that we need to work at. So we have unity in Christ. We're all one in Christ Jesus, right? And we will say that, we'll sing it, we'll pray it, we'll talk about it, right? We're all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? Is it wonderful in practice? Because what is true spiritually needs to be worked out practically. And Paul says that we should work to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. It's something we should actually actively work at. Now, those of you who are married, which looks like quite a few of us, you know full well, don't you? You sign up that day. You commit that day. You're in love that day. But you know that to have a, a, a long, happy, married life together, you need to keep working at that. Right? So Christ comes into us. He indwells us by his Holy Spirit. We join a community and then we discover, oh, we're different. We don't think the same. Oh, we have different hopes, dreams, expectations. And so we discover the reality of what it means to work out that unity in practice. Of course, Some people choose just to attend a church service. Because if you just attend a church service, you don't ever get to discover that. If all you do is attend a church service, you never discover that you have to work at relationships. But it's when you're working alongside people 
in a leadership team or a ministry or you're in a small group together and people irritate you, that's when you discover that you have to work at unity. So the safest advice I could give you is just come to church on Sunday, don't get involved anywhere, and then you won't feel bad about anybody. But actually that's ridiculous, isn't it? That is completely ridiculous. It's not what God intended. God intended that in the in the context of our relationships that we work out what it means to be united. And I want to give you four things about unity from the book of Corinthians. And this is going to be a skip through the book of Corinthians. Okay, just four simple things. The first thing, so Paul confronts the question of disunity in the book of Corinthians four times. And in chapters 1 through 4, he has the issue of people following leaders rather than following Jesus. And he encourages them to follow Jesus only. Now, it's interesting because he says that some people in the church were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, and still others say, I follow Jesus. Now, the fact that he told people to follow Jesus would suggest that those people who said they were following Jesus weren't following Jesus at all. But there's always somebody in any argument or any leadership tussle who wants to maintain the high spiritual ground. So those people were the people who wanted to maintain the high spiritual ground. But I don't follow any man, I only follow Jesus. Like people have said to me sometimes when you're discussing some theological thing, oh, I just choose to believe the Bible. They adopt the the high spiritual ground so they don't have to discuss it and work it through. So Paul says if we want a united church, we have to focus on who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and make him our leader. And if we do that at an individual level, then that plays out in the corporate context. The second thing he talks about is in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where he talks about civil disputes. Now we know from Matthew uh, 15 and Matthew 18 that if we have a problem with somebody or we know somebody has a problem with us, we should go to them and sort it out. That's what I'd call a communal dispute. We know from Romans 13 where it tells us that government instrumentalities are there to punish us if we do right or wrong and to commend us if we do harm, that criminal matters should go to to criminal the authorities who deal with criminal things. The church should never get involved with a criminal investigation. However, here he talks about a civil dispute and he says there are two ways of serving the civil dispute. Number one is be willing to be wronged. Wow. That's interesting, isn't it? Be willing to be wronged. I don't see a lot of that in our culture these days, the willingness to be wrong. But then if you can't be wronged, settle it inside. Have an arbitration inside. Now, of course, we know from our culture that that tends not to work so well because people don't accept the umpire's decision about these things and it might well go somewhere else. But that's the advice that he gave in their context. So be willing to be wronged and if you can't, get the church to help you to sort it out first before you take it out somewhere else. Uh, the third thing is to treat everybody, uh, all the people in the different social st- structures equally. We've had the Lord's Supper. There in Corinth, they would have had the Lord's Supper in a rich person's house. There may have been a number of households actually and some of this factionalism may have been even between rich households. That's one line of thinking. But what was happening at the Lord's Supper was that, you know, the, the rich guy had his friends in the house. What are they doing at the Lord's Supper? They're eating and drinking. Because that's what, that's how the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, right? So they eat, they're having a meal. They're eating and drinking. And what does he say? Some people are getting stuffed full 
and drunk and others are people, where are they? They're standing at the door, can't get in. Why? Because they're not part of the in crowd. Because they don't belong to the social strata. Because they're treated as second. And when Paul says that they're not recognising the body of the Lord, that's what he means. He doesn't mean somebody's holding a little cup and thinking about sandwiches for lunch. right? That's not what he means. He means that as they take the Lord's Supper, they're not thinking about the fact that they are the body of Christ. So it's really important in our churches that we cultivate um, a sense that we're all equal before the Lord. Whatever, whatever nationality or financial background or whatever it is that we come from, we're all equal before the Lord. Somebody in Rwanda said to me, you know, I really like you because you don't treat us like we're second. Well, I said, well, that's because you're not. It would be if I treated you like a second, I'd be sinning. You know, I'm no greater than you. And the last thing, don't you like it when preachers say last? The last thing is that we should cultivate unity by serving others with our gifts. The problem in Corinth was that people were saying, "Hey, look at me and what I'm doing. Here's my giftedness. Here's my wisdom. Here's my knowledge. Here's my capacity. I'm here to serve you." But they weren't really, that wasn't in their heart. And that's why we have 1 Corinthians 13, which is about acting in love, right? So make sure that you not only serve, but you serve out of love. Now, this was supposed to be a one and a half hour service, and I'm sorry to make your first one go overtime. But really, unity is our collective responsibility. If you're going to be united as a church, it's something all of us need to work at. It's something all of us need to value, and it's something that all of us need to preserve and there are things that we can do practically that will make a difference in the context of our relationship so Montmorency be encouraged be encouraged the Lord is with you, the Lord is in you he is there to help you even to help you to love that person you find difficult even to serve that person that you find difficult that's what his spirit is there for but we need to trust him to enable us to do that Let me pray for us and then we'll conclude. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of being involved in your work. We thank you for the grace that you give us to live every day. Thank you for the the partnerships that this church has with people all around the world doing all kinds of amazing things. And we again, we thank you for each of them. Uh, Often I feel, Lord, like a spiritual pygmy compared to what some of these people that I'm involved with are doing. Thank you, Lord, that you are helping them every day and may they know your presence in their circumstance. We pray particularly for Juvenile and Dorcas and their children today that you would be gracious unto them and minister to them by your Holy Spirit and bring them the comfort that they need in their loss and help us to know how to help them from a distance. We pray moreover, Lord, that you would help us in our local mission to be active, to be united, to be on the journey together so that we may see your kingdom come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.